Oh, I got a live one here. <laughs> Hi guys, what's up to all our sidekicks and henchmen out there in the Geek Nation? You're listening to the Cult Pop Spoiler Alert live stream where we review this week's books. I'm your host, Johnny Destructo, a.k.a. JD, owner of Johnny Destructo's Hero Complex at 4327 Main Street in Philadelphia, PA. With me this week is early voting enthusiast, Noel Bartocci. Noel, tell the people something. Um, make sure that if you have a mail-in ballot, you fill it out correctly in both envelopes and sign it, as well as you have the options to drop them off at early polling places in most states. Just make sure that your ballot will be counted. Ah. Vote. I concur, good doctor. Also with me this week is Len, eating naan and liking it. Tell the people something. Hey, everybody. If you want to have a really good time... Turn on Netflix and watch Enola Holmes. It's delightful. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. It's I, great. We'll, we'll watch it. We um, we didn't watch that. Instead, we watched uh, Before Sunset. Oh, you for, know, the, for wow. the movie club. Uh, well, no, the second one. We're just watching them now. I thought the second oh, one was After Sunset. Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight. Okay. And they were done like 10 years apart, right? Or longer, right? Each, yeah, each like one that. is nine years apart. Yeah, I like that. Uh, right. The ability to do that kind of thing, you know, it's cool. Um, also with me this week is the itinerant Brian Lieb. B, tell people something. Uh, what, what should I tell you? Well, I didn't come up with a thing to to say about me, and so I just said the itinerant, which is is not even true. I'm at home. I'm not wandering around. <laughs> but uh, here we go. Let's rock and roll. <laughs> All right. Um, like I said, we are here to discuss this past week's new comic, comic releases. But first, we got cool respondents. Now, before cool I read respondents the- from internet. people who be watching and listening to it doesn't us. matter what you do. He's gonna do something. Let I'm just gonna tell you uh, that was that was extremely painful. Um, and if you're gonna do that, go into another room. <laughs> I backed away. It hurt, it's so loud. It hurt me so much. Um, Any whomst. Uh, gentlemen, in the chat, I'm getting ready to read an email. Will one of you please get the, uh, the comment and put it at the bottom of our chat so that I can find it when it's time? Uh, let's see. The email is somewhere in my many tabs. Here we go. Christopher St. Saucy, good night. Wrote in after the show started last week, so we didn't get to it. Um, here is last week's email. King in Black, too many issues. So, I picked up the first issue of Ten of Swords the other day. Because on the cover, it says that there are 22 issues in the crossover event. I love that I am going in knowing how many issues it is. That's a pretty good point. King in Black has 15 issues in this month's previews alone. That is too many issues. Chris St. Saucy, good night. Also, JD, what first printings of issues of the current Thor run do you have? I will have to get back to that later. I did not see that question until just this second. Um, do you guys also like it that you can see that it is a 22-parter? I mean, it's cool. Uh, that, But to be fair, 
we've seen that before. We've seen some miniseries that have started off one of six, and then somewhere around the second or third one, all of a sudden it magically turns to the final issue. So, you know, sometimes that number doesn't doesn't mean anything. Um, you know what? I almost feel like it. In a weird way, it doesn't matter. So, like, if you're when it's like a six issue or seven issue event, you know that there's going to be like twenty five extra little things that you could jump on if you want to. But it's just the six. And if you're enjoying it, you'll do it. But if like with this X Men thing, twenty two, all disparate series. I actually think that that's that turns me off, turns and I don't off. know why. Yeah, it kind of turns me away. I don't know why. Like it's it's. I know that they're all part of one whole story. However, there's no spine to the event. It's just all jumping back and forth to a bunch of series I don't read. And maybe it's the maybe it's the completionist in me that doesn't want to adopt that. Maybe it's the fact that I don't want to have to like jump in and learn new names every time. I don't know. Maybe it won't read that way, but either way, it's and also too, it's ten other uh, ten creative teams now too, so it's no that that kind of eh, later I'll, I'll read it later I maybe yeah yeah I don't mind necessarily the idea like the concept but the amount of issues is daunting you know mm-hmm. for that one when it's like. Like, you guys remember last week, before I even opened the book, I was like, one of 22. Ugh, that's a lot. Um, and, and like Noel said, like, it's not little, in, in everything, there's little tie-ins, you know, but these are all integral parts of the story, or at least so they claim. And I think it kind of shows up in this week's issue, which we'll get to, where it didn't quite feel like a seamless story transition no. from, uh, from the last issue, I thought. Um, oh. Hmm. But, um, but yeah, so I think it's more the number of issues in this case. I almost wish we were starting with that one first because that seems like a perfect segue into that book because I disagree with you entirely about the um, seamless transition. You know what? Actually, I am going to disagree with myself. As I was talking about it, <laughs> I remember... <laughs> As I was talking about it, I remember that I felt that in the first two pages, and then as it got on, I was like, oh, right, that's what happened to Apocalypse, or well, yeah, you know, whatever. Pl- it was. Pl- I mean, plot-wise, it was a seamless transition, but yeah. in in terms of, like, the the books, it wasn't a seamless transition. Right. It like, felt like a I, jump. Like, it was, so, what, I think what they're trying, you know what, we'll save it for the, for the yeah, review. okay. Save it for the review, um, yeah. I like uh, Christopher St. Saucy Goodnight said, you owe me money for my TV speakers, Len. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. And <laughs> Robert Monroe uh, on, on YouTube is saying, 22 times $1, too much damn money. Oh, I Who's think that's a blank. dollar? No, no, no. I think that's a blank. Times blank 99. So two ninety nine, three ninety nine. Oh, X.99. Yeah. I'd say. I'd yeah. I was like, how's he getting these books for a buck? Yeah, are um, you paying for your bootlegs? What's wrong with you? He's got the hookup. Because yeah. <laughs> they're, not, they're not a dollar. Um, we have another email, which is in the messenger. Here we go. He's so homosexual, who's been with us for a very long time. His first line tickles me because it says, I am sorry. I am not sure what email to send to. Hey, guys. Coltpopgo at gmail.com. We mention it every single show. 
cultpopgo at gmail.com is where you can send your emails uh, for this here live, uh, live event. Anyway, he goes on, I'd like to say I really enjoyed the book club of Neil Gaiman's Eternals. Mm. Gaiman is a creator who is a victim of his own success, overpraised and infallible to any criticism. What other creatives do you think have fallen, vic fallen victim to this? J. Scott Campbell, Todd McFarlane, and Jim Lee immediately come to mind. But I would also include Bendis, whose Legion book is the worst thing still on my pull list. Thoughts? I disagree. Um, uh, your live stream is at 7.30 a.m. West Coast, so it's hard for me to show up at the beginning, but I do always try to be there. Thank you, Homer Sexual. It is wonderful to hear from you. Coltspopgo at gmail.com is where you can email us. And um, other creatives who fall victim to their own, or the, to their own um, fame, I guess? I would say maybe John Byrne. What are we talking about with that exactly? Like, do we mean people that are so famous that now the things that they do don't live up to their previous works, but they're still decent? Or, like, what's the question, do we think? I'll also like to jump on that. Like that, I'm going to question your question. Okay. Um, it, I think it's, are we presupposing that the reason why people that have been in the industry for 20 or 30 years start to decline is because they're too important or just because they start to decline? So... I, I know that Bendis has been around for like 30 years at this point, and not all of them have been winners. But is that because he's so famous now that it doesn't matter? Or is it because he's just running out of stories? Like, that, I, I don't know, you know? Uh, I also, I question your question to Brian's question. I wonder yeah. if it's, you know how directors, um, let's say, oh, you know what? George Lucas. Mm, George Lucas. So uh, with the original Star Wars trilogy, there were a myriad of people involved in creating a perfect storm to make an actually watchable film. If you look at any of the original script, any of the original plot of the original Star Wars, New Hope, it is a friggin' mess, and it's virtually unwatchable. They did a, a comic book series based on the original script. Couldn't get through it. Terrible. But there were so many people, so many check, you know, uh, checks and balances before the pro final product got out that it made something good, which is not always the case. Too many, too many cooks in the kitchen, right? But uh, I wonder if maybe because these people get so high up that the editors feel like they don't have to edit anymore, they don't have to give them any sort of checks and balances, and this whatever they pump out is what what hits the final page. And I wonder if maybe that has something to do with it. I or, um I would agree. Oh, sorry. Go oh, wait, Len. Do you have any questions? I don't have any questions. Do you have a question about our questions? <laughs> I don't have any questions. Um, it, it does show that me and JD may be Eternals because we seem to be thinking with a unimind. Because we mm. both were thinking about John Byrne and we both went to directors as a way of kind of like offering up an example for this. I think George, George Lucas is uh, it's a perfect one because just like you said, JD, he had all those checks and balances in place for Star Wars and New Hope. You can see what happens absent those checks and balances with the prequels you know what i mean so it's right there on on the surface i think that in regards to the question burn is a good one um I, I read the question more as you've become so famous that you're almost above your criticism and despite the criticism you're you are just going to keep doing your stuff because you know there's enough people who think your ish don't stink so Frank Miller is, and Frank Miller is exactly where I was going to go. Yeah, Frank Miller. Frank Miller. I mean, 
because God knows what after Dark Knight, everything <laughs> that he did in the Batman world after that, even though some people do like um, three. Uh, I forget which what what is called Dark Knight Master Green. Race. Master, Master Race. Race. There are people that enjoy that one, but the second one, and then what was that piece of crap that he did that he basically turned a Batman book into like some Catman type War- of thing? It wasn't War on Terror. It was um, something like Holy that. Terror. Holy Terror. Holy Terror. The Holy Terror. Yeah, like Frank Miller is definitely the first one that comes to I didn't my see mind. It. I wouldn't I didn't say, read it. I wouldn't say Bendis because I find that. As much work as Bendis is, and there are hits and misses, I find that at least in reading his interviews, that Bendis is for the most part open about his failures. And yeah, that he does the he, difference. He does the work, right? Like he's not right. he 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 never rests on his laurels. But you're right. Like I think JD's really right too. Like with the idea of when you have that much clout or that much namesake, you do get away with a lot more. So if you think about like Bendis' last year or two at, at Marvel, he had written literally every character at that point. Mm-hmm. On the, in the same year, he did Civil War II, which was awful, but then also Defenders, which was fucking fantastic. And no, right. you know, like at the same time. So it's not like a not given effort and you can get away with anything. It's just more like, some work, some don't, and you have more swings at bat when you have a big name. Mm-hmm. That's it, you know. It can it can be tough too when you've got like a favorite creator, and every time you read them, they're awesome. They're like one of the best, and then years go by, and then the last few things haven't been that great. But you you just like you don't want to give up. Love it. You like you have this emotional attachment to like I. I had this experience of uh, like a Neil Gaiman book, the first twenty Neil Gaiman books I read, and and uh, this next one, I still think of it as being like that. So maybe that colors our estimation too. That we're like, well, I liked it. You know, I still like this Bendis book. It uh, maybe reminded me we, of the older stuff, but I was, yeah, it's are not you saying as good. we give we give it credence? Like we give we we give a, a let nostalgia kind of like color something that is bad. Like it's not bad. It could be better, right? Or even if it's not bad, but just not, you know, it's like uh, you know when I really think about it, I haven't enjoyed the last ten stories that I've read from this guy as much as I expect to out of this guy. Well, mm-hmm. maybe he's not as good, but sometimes we don't. You know, we don't follow through that thought process, or we don't want to. You know, you know, you know who who's kind of um, gone down in favor, I guess. Not really. It's I mean, I, I still like the writer, um, but Jeff Johns. So right before he disappeared, mm. when he was doing the Justice League and all the stuff for for New 52 and then disappeared when he got the job uh, right. for like movie creative, everything started to just kind of like diminish and be late and fall away and then he disappeared from comics for like two years altogether Mm -hmm. um that last output wasn't a bang it was like a whimper so even though i really like doomsday clock it doesn't feel like he has the same you know like marquee pull to a book which is i mean we're gonna talk about one next so maybe i'm wrong but still like it, it used to be like oh jeff johns is doing a random character? I'm in. Yeah. Well, Signed up like for the, three of them. He was like now the it's premier like, DC writer for a while. Like, he was mm-hmm. like the steer in the ship, you know? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it's just he just kind of faded away. I still love Jeff Johns. Every time I read I do Jeff too. Johns' book, I'm reminded, oh, I love Jeff Johns. I, I do too, but did you read his Justice League run before he disappeared? Because you wouldn't feel that way necessarily. Which like story, what story line was that? The Jim, the Jim Lee stuff all the way through the Dark Side War. Like, there was a couple of little, like, tinks of, like, pretty cool. Like, the Dark Side War itself was pretty cool. But everything in between was just edgelord awful. And it just wasn't very good. But, you know, you don't remember that. You think about all the big stuff that he's fantastic. I wonder if that is a harder pill to swallow when you're a writer because when you're a writer you know you you feel like those chops will never go away if anything you feel like as you become older and more seasoned your writing maybe becomes a little bit deeper as opposed to an artist who's you know their their failings are very much on the screen Right. Like uh, I'm thinking about, you know, my favorite artist, George Perez, who had to bite the pill just a couple of years ago and say, like, yo, I have to retire. I do not have it anymore because of whatever reasons. You know what I mean? Um, uh, I I just wonder if that's a harder pill to swallow. And the other thing I was going to say is like the letter referenced Todd McFarlane. I don't know if I would throw Todd McFarlane in there. He definitely is, you know, a cocky motherfucker. But. I, I don't he's know no Rob Liefeld. Exactly. And, and it's not like he's out here still thinking that his ish don't stink. I mean, yeah, he knows that if he draws a poster, it's going to sell because it's, you know, it's it's McFarlane art. But that's the same thing. The same thing could be said of Joe Quesada. Joe Quesada knows if he draws a cover, it's going to sell it. You know what I mean? But he's not out here trying to take, you know, say that he, he's like that dude anymore. I, you, I don't think anyway. I, w- I will say in defense of Todd McFarlane recently, very recently on, on, on social media, I came across like a, uh, I think it was a video about his action figures or like he was showing off a mold of a new DC action figure coming out and he was describing it like a 14 year old boy playing yes. with a model. And yes. it was the most adorable thing in the world. I was just like, oh, like it made me like him more. I was just like, oh, it's not fully painted yet, but you could totally see that this is going to be like the thing. And he's like showing the camera. <laughs> and he was so excited. Yeah, Those action figures are good, too. He makes some good and action it, figures. It made me very excited. I was just like, that's right. These guys are fans. They've always been fans. Yeah. This is awesome. And like and you get those moments. Yeah. One other tiny little tidbit about Todd, which I really like, is that he is out there making little videos to teach kids how to draw. Yes, um, I did see that. I'm not sure who's holding the camera, if it's his wife or whatever, but he's there with his big tablet, and he's there, and he, they do close-ups, and he's like, here's how you draw an eyeball, here's how you draw a hand, here's how you do hair um, digitally. Here's, you know, if you do a trick here, and he, he makes all these noises, like I do, when he's drawing, <laughs> like he's just constantly making sound effects and onomatopoeia um, while drawing. And you can, you can feel the, the sort of passion he has for what he's doing and mm-hmm. just the fact that he's sharing it with people um, I think is, is really kind of sweet. Paying it forward, which is actually what you want with you know your comic creators, man. The back in the day, I was actually reading an article about um, somebody. No, it wasn't an article. I was listening to a YouTube chat between these two older creatives. And they were talking about back in their day, one of the ways of breaking into the business, especially if you are a writer, was by kind of like developing a relationship with the the editors as such through writing 
in the letter pages and you become like someone they see in the letter pages. The next thing you know, when you send in an idea for a story, they give you a little bit more credence. That's going away anymore. But they were saying that that was their way, those editors' way of paying it forward. You know what I'm saying? And that's exactly what Todd McFarlane was doing with those little videos. I was I was going to say, like, with the advent of, of live streaming and YouTube and Twitch and stuff, there's a lot of creators now that have, like, little shows like this and stuff where they engage with their audiences and then just kind of, like, pull them in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Ed Pisker's got a show and... and uh, Joe Casada and Dan Panosian do like a drink and draw where they talk with the audience the whole time while they just live stream them drinking and drawing. Like things like that where even though the letters pages are all but gone, they're still around, but only so many books kind of like keep them going. It's almost been replaced by these digital uh, options where people can just engage directly, which is pretty cool. Very true. Uh, Samuel David says, Spawn is just boring. And then what else? Oh, yeah, toys. He also teamed Spawn up with born. Robert Kirkman for um, The Haunt. That was good for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Spider, listen, his Spider-Man with David Michelini is my all-time favorite era of Spider-Man. It, it hit me at exactly the right time in my reading uh, in the comic book realm. And um, it, it all, it, I still love it. I still love it. I'll still flip through it. I'll still uh, read them every so often. It just, it, I don't know if it's all nostalgia, but... I just absolutely love that that time period in Spider-Man history. So he'll always be one of my favorites, if only because of that. Um, all right, it's time to move on to the books. Let's move on to oh, Three Jokers. Oh, shoot. In the notes, it said Three Jokers number one. That's a lie. It's Three Jokers number two. Um, put that up on the screen. There we go. And let's see. What does Diamond or UCS have to say about it? Uh, it's by Jeff Johns and Jason Fabok. As Batman and Batgirl follow an unexpected thread linking the three Jokers with someone from the Dark Knight's past, Red Hood dives headfirst into trouble and finds himself struggling to stay afloat without the aids of his allies. Batman Three Jokers continues its trajectory as the ultimate examination of the Joker and his never-ending conflict with Batman. Prepare yourself! For the second chapter of one of the most terrifying and personal mysteries Batman has ever faced. Uh, I like this book quite a bit. Um, I- I'm very excited about this book. My only problem with it is that it's only three issues. I don't understand how this is going to wrap up in one more issue. Unless they're doing the thing where it's like like um, absolute carnage. Where it's like, oh. We solve this mystery. Here is another. Here is the next thing that's coming down the pike. Well, I didn't so think it was you... positioned differently originally, right? Like it wasn't black label, or it was like built up in regular continuity and then maybe shifted over. To um, well, that's a that's a sticky wicket. Okay. So like I, whether it's continuity or not is a different story based off of what the publisher thinks and what the creators think. So like even just I think Justin Fabok actually even said like yeah it's in continuity shut up. And then Jeff Johns is just like, it could, I mean, it could be if you want to take it that way. I'm basing the story off, like, he had a more diplomatic answer. But then the idea of slapping it with a black label, what the fuck does that mean? Because they've never really identified or, I, you know, like, defined that black label is always or is not always or only ever can be continuity. Right. Like, so, I, I don't know. It's continuity. To me, it's yeah. continuity. Like, let's just say it's continuity. And then other other writers and artists can. Oh yeah, I didn't. I just meant as far it. as JD's like 
question of whether it would if, uh, I don't think it's intended to lead into something else or that yeah, um, yeah I don't think it is in any like I think it's only intended to lead into like or it's not I don't think it's intended to lead into anything but I think it's intended to just like mic a drop uh, drop a mic and run away mm-hmm. so like I think there will be like a big old something that happens like oh and then that's the end of this story <laughs> period but I, I I don't know if this creative team is like has a trilogy of books planned. I, I, I would I would doubt it. I, like, this book has been in production for so long that I think up until now we would have heard, like, it's the first part of a trilogy. Or, mm-hmm. it's the, you know what I mean? Like, I think we would have heard that, right? Possibly. What did you guys think of the book? I loved Noel, it. Brian? <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, I really like the art. I think even more this time than in the last issue. It Does it remind you guys of Gary Frank? A bit, a little bit, a lot. Yes, yeah, a lot. yes, yeah. <laughs> um, which I mean, fantastic. You know, if you're going to be reminded thing. of somebody, right? Um, that was great. I find the story interesting and personal. You know, between the Bat Family characters, um, that's a terrifying page. This page, oh yeah. <laughs> All right, so for the people listening at home who don't have the um, the video, it's. Uh, the page where we see the dead Joker from issue one, and uh, it is being multiplied because you're looking through the eye of a fly that is landing on the Joker. It's so good. Yeah. Also, speaking so, of Joker shenanigans, like, what is happening in the beginning? This Joker is fantasizing about, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, holding a family hostage. And also fantasizing the parts where they are resisting him upstairs, you know? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's not idyllic and then it's revealed to be fake. It's like he's fantasizing about an awfully fucked up situation. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's his dream. And loving every moment of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I particularly really liked that. So when they introduced the whole idea of three Jokers and what does that mean and blah, blah, blah. I like that as as we get deeper into this mystery, there's nothing supernatural about it. There's nothing yeah. Uh, Earth. There's nothing like multi alternate DC universes or multiversal. It's it's literally just like a recruitment effort of of the right type of people. It seems like is anybody did anybody else get that impression? Like oh, they did absolutely. not really say it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, like, they're trying I, to turn the Red Hood into a new Joker. Yeah, like it's it's the idea of like over the course of the last couple of decades, there have been three individuals who fit this profile, and they just kind of keep creating new jokers in a way. Like now, it's do insane. you do you guys feel that that um, undermines the character at all that that we've been reading for this entire time? Do you think that it sort of lessens the character that it's not one guy this entire um, experience, or do you like that there's multiple jokers? I'll tell you, it's it's certainly an interesting concept that also can be done away with at any time. You know, any time they want, they one of them is the real Joker, and it was all his. You yeah. know, I mean, we've already we've already started whittling down three to two, right? So. Right, um, exactly. Unless yeah. that was the original yeah. one, unlikely. And I, I think, I it only in in regards to flying in the face of anything, it only flies in the face of maybe two other writers' work. So I think it was Grant Morrison had. That whole um, story in his Batman run, it was like a prose story of the Joker is always different because he's, um, 
has multiple personalities. That was cool. Mm-hmm. That so was cool every story. like that was that was a whole different like other writers have tried to approach the fact that he's always different in different eras, and that was Grant Morrison's version. And then I think it was uh, Scott Snyder that did the whole kind of like mystical metal Dionysian that had like allowed him to regenerate and kind of yeah become a new every era. You know, like he would die, but not really kind of shit. Right, right. This flies in the face of those. This flies. I I don't. I don't think it. You know. I first of all, I enjoy it, and I like that aspect of it because to me, um, it's funny how much we were talking about. Oh, JD's got to mute his mic because his mic is spilling over into the show. It's like a boisterous party. Yes. You. I. I was. Are you back on? Can you hear us, JD? Yes. Yeah. We. We were saying we had to stop talking because. Your mic wasn't muted, so you were it was spilling over into the show. So no, it's fine. It's fine, dog. It's fine. You're editing it. So anyway, we <laughs> <laughs> um No, what I enjoy is it's, it's funny. We were talking about uh Jeff Johns and how he maybe has lost a step or two. I actually had to look again to see that Jeff Johns had written this because I thought mm-hmm. felt that this was the most original thing that's been done with the Joker in a long time. I wish there was not a Joker war or any of the last Jokers we've seen in the last two, three years, you know, there for this to be the first presentation of the Joker um, since, let's say, you know, in the last two, three years, because it's original, it's fantastic artwork, it's slow methodical detective work as well as from from batman um you know it you see him teaming up with two people that you don't really see him teaming up with too much anymore uh, to this extent jason and barbara um and, and you see them presented in ways that you don't often see them now i will say i don't like the little Think moment that happens between Jason and Barbara, even though it is just a moment, I don't like it um, because I felt that I don't think that that was true to her, uh, Barbara Gordon's character, and I so that's that's a misstep of Jeff's. Um, but short of that, I think this book is, uh, and I don't like that we have another scene of the the Wayne's murders. I'm like. Enough. Can we can we go one special Batman <laughs> book without? I think we saw it in issue one. Like we don't need to see it in issue two as well. Every issue. I think it's important for what's about to happen though with uh, with the guy. Joe I mean, yeah, with Joe Chill. Yeah, right. I, I'm thinking that's I'm, why they put that that in. Also, I'm did also you guys notice his number? You? His prison number. Uh, no. Does anybody know what day and month? Detective Twenty Seven was published because Joe. Oh, it was it was published on May. Shit, May nineteen thirty nine. It wasn't March third. March third? Yeah, because it's his prison number is zero three three one nine three nine. Joe Chills is. So I was trying to figure out what the zero three three might be, but maybe just nothing. Oh my god! Uh, That's cute. I so I I was gonna. Brandon says, I like the Jason Babs thing with the context. She knew it was a mistake. She caught up with them. Yeah, so I don't even think it was that simple. I, I disagree with Len of it being a mistake or something. I, I liked it. Yeah. Because I, the, 
the mentality and the relationship that victims, especially victims of the same perpetrator, often have is is a very complicated one and mm-hmm. a very complex one. Mm-hmm. So her wanting to like, I read it as her wanting to be one with him because she can only under she understands what he's going through more than anyone else in the world, mm-hmm. and miscalculating that and then immediately knowing that it wasn't the right move like like you would when you're when you're facing somebody that when you're face to face with somebody that's completely vulnerable that that only you understand Mm -hmm. yeah an emotional outburst of some sorts and in this one it was affectionate they didn't it wasn't like a full-on it was like a, a quick not sure how to react right here but i know i want to be closer to you and i really really i really thought that that was great yeah, but I don't see her making that miscalculation. I see him making that miscalculation. I see Jason. I don't see Barbara making that miscalculation. I just, I just I, didn't believe it for her. In in lieu of what happened the last issue where he murdered someone, sure. In the understanding of like the scene, I kind of went with it. Yeah, it didn't bother me. It doesn't bother me that Babs is the one who did it. Um, the the you can I sort of you can feel the connection between the two of them and what's happening, and I think that the the scene leads leads them in that direction and it doesn't bother me i wasn't like what what are they doing oh my god you feel um, the connection because everybody draws every man robin that looks like dick grayson so that's why you feel the connection <laughs> yes yeah, like, i know oh, wait, I kinda, not dick you thought it was dick <laughs> i kind of want him to look different damn it like that was really I, I miss the red hair give him red hair yeah I don't want him to have red hair. I wanted his face to be more messed up from a crowbar, even despite them having a mask on it. He could have had like a, a more of a, a true broken nose and not just a Band-Aid over. Maybe give him a skull. I was surprised that mask broke that easily, though. Like, this is his, this is his red hood easily? helmet. Like, I mean, he gets hit by a crowbar a couple of times. This I'm... is his, like, red hood helmet. I thought it would protect him. That's true. It wasn't Thor's hammer that hit him. Right. It was a, it was a crowbar. You gotta, it's gotta expect that he's been hit with, you know, things of a similar mass before. That's a good point. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then it fades to red. There was more than once or twice. Yeah. Like, no, was... but the first one cracks it. No, it doesn't. Like the third thought... one cracks it. I thought the Hang first on. one cracked it. Uh, this it's, is like it's fine, guys. Uh, <laughs> listen, no one he, count got, the he ordered it. He ordered it from Wish. Uh, he thought he would try a new mask. It didn't work out. Uh, count the yeah. strokes. Hey, do you you're guys right. think this is? You're right. You're right. Did you guys? Do you guys think this is going to end with Jason Todd becoming the new, a new Joker? I hope not. I, hope I very not much too. wanted to. Oh, I wanted to. Oh, really? I yeah. want. I want something new for uh, Jason. I, I'm yeah. not sure I want him to be the Joker. Although I did think, while I was reading this, I thought back to last issue, and I thought, had they done the thing where he, in the 80s, or 90, 80s, I guess, where he became the Joker's Robin back then, oh, you remember he offered? That mm. would possibly have been very interesting. Um, but I don't necessarily, I don't want that to happen now. I mean, his... Character is very different. Yeah, I gotta say, in issue one, where Joker is laughing and bragging about how Jason Todd, when he was beating him to death, pro- like begged him for his life and promised that he would be his Robin. Mm-hmm. That that hit me in such a way, like that 
hurt. Like what a what a bit of dialogue and and just to to be able to imagine that child begging for his life. You know, it's just it it gave that scene even more uh, an even more um, reprehensible context um, and like a, a difficulty for me. It was just woof, brutal. Um, this book is great. It, yeah, I really am enjoying it. I, I, that's again. I just wish there was going to be like maybe six issues. Six issues would be fine. Like, I'm, good, I'm good with three. I'm good with three fifty-five page issues. Yeah, it's about right. a six-issue. It's a six-issue miniseries. Uh, just three double sides sizes. So it wasn't wasn't um, New Frontier like six double sized, uh, and then something else was like like uh, Last Night on Earth was three double sized. I think they. I think he can pull it off. Okay. It seems uh, like it already seems like even though it just started, it already seems like it's it's, it's circling it's circling the end with oh, this yeah, like too. last little reveal. I think it's gonna be all right. Carol K says I'm probably the youngest person here. I'm only fourteen. Oh hi. Welcome. Sorry, sorry for all the foul language. Ear ear In case you hadn't heard those <laughs> words before somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm, uh, are you guys enjoying Three Jokers? Let us know. Feel free to let us know in the comments. Uh, next up is a different book. It's called, oh, Joker War Zone, number one. I'm sorry, Joker War War Zone or Joker War Zone? Joker War Zone. Joker War Zone. All right, cool. Batman, Batman the Joker, Colin, War Joker War Zone. Yeah, Batman number the Joker War Zone. It is a uh, one-shot anthology by a bunch of creatives and there it is nice cover by uh looks like ben oliver a dangerous collection of stories from the gotham war zone and let's see what is what is what did they say about it here we go it is 13 plus it says on the cover here so everybody so carol's good check this out carol's good Gotham City is a battleground as the Joker takes over the Wayne Fortune and wages a street war against the Dark Knight and his allies. Enter the War Zone with short stories featuring characters like Cassandra Kane, Stephanie Brown, and Luke Fox, and see how they're fighting back in a city under siege. Also, the brutal fall debut of the mysterious new anti-hero known as Clown Hunter. Oh, the brutal fool debut i'm like this is not his debut guys he's been around for several issues um so again this is a anthology by a bunch of different creatives what did you like and if you did like it did you have a favorite brian uh well uh jd i have to come clean i only read the first two of them uh i hope that your shock is not going to prevent the show from continuing but we're done uh, um uh the they were fine. I definitely felt like, I mean, I didn't read the description of it beforehand, but I was like, oh yeah, these are all, these are like little tie-ins to things that I don't fully know what is happening about, you know, but I kind of have an idea. I know that Catwoman stole the money for one thing, but I didn't know the Foxes got a hold of it or what the conflict is about that. I mean, it was fine. These are, these are two passable stories set in the Joker War era of Batman. Mm -hmm. I, this this first one that we're looking at on screen by Gillum March, I really like the back and forth. Well, I guess it's not a back and forth. It's uh, <laughs> it's just the Joker talking at Bane the entire time, who was strung up after um, Tom King's run, and 
Joker didn't enjoy that run either, uh, it turns out. So uh, I like that as well. I'm like, I'm with the Joker on this one. That was terrible. And um, I'm curious to see what's moving forward. So what did you think of the book? Noel, did you read all of them? Yeah, I read the whole thing. I also read Tom King's run, and it, all in all, it wasn't bad. Uh, yeah, uh, so all of these were pretty strong. The The two middle ones were, I guess, the weakest. The um, the Cassandra Kane and Stephanie Brown one by uh, with art by David LaFuente. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I love his art, but it sticks out like a sore thumb in this book. And... And it was just a cutesy story where they decided to finally don bat emblems. Yeah. Um, and the Poison Ivy one was coolish. Um, only in so much as she kind of declared a different name for herself, which was cool. Hmm? Queen um, Ivy? Queen Ivy now. Cool. Yeah. Um, but the the first issue, the, the first story by Gillum March and, and Tinian. Um, was great. I really, really liked the idea of the Joker being pissed with Bane that he ruined an opportunity, and that's gonna like start something. I thought that was cool. I love the uh, the the Fox family stuff. The art is amazing, and I, I really, really loved kind of following them. And the, it's Lucius dealing with the aftermath of being poisoned by that new toxin is kind of is really cool. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely in every way shape and form adored the clown hunter story by tinian with art by james stoko um it was awesome in like a nasty mad max kind of way i will like i do have one gripe with it where the um the layout of the book and the 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 layout uh for the james stoko one the layout was great but the pan of the word balloon placement was confusing in a lot of panels Mm. where even though you're supposed to go from left to right and up and down, the word panels would or the the word balloons would be in different like in, in weird spots to make you look at them first to read them first before it's the panel's time. Like there's a there's a couple of spots in here where it's like this one here. So you know you're supposed to go like left to right and then down and then back up to left to right, but the the first thing you see after reading that second tier of panels is almost like that first word balloon that's supposed to be yep. three more away. Like it's yep. it's it's not the best, but it's still pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Len, what did you think? Nah, I mean, I thought that for the most part this was, again, just a book, a book of inconsequential stuff. I mean, okay, the uh, Stephanie, Stephanie and, and um, the other the chick, other chick. Well, they, 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 Cassandra. Cassandra, yeah, they, yeah, they, they get the, the bad symbols. symbols. Okay. okay, that could have literally, literally happened in two pages, pages of another, another book. book. Um, um, or or the the main story Bane and Joker is an interesting conversation it's kind of cool and know. maybe it's it sets up something going forward but outside of looking at Gillian March's art which is always yeah, you know you know uh pleasing to the eye it was I could have done without it I thought it was interesting I actually like that most in this book um the the um put it down there catching up with the foxes that was cool i did i did appreciate that um and considering that was written by john ridley who was scheduled to be doing a batman book um in the new year you know so that was kind of cool in this and i think he's supposed to be picking up on some of the the um 
you know, the plot threads that he, he sets in here. So I was that was interesting, interesting to me for that. And the art, like Noel said on that story, is phenomenal. Um, uh, Oliver Copier. Olivier Coipel. Coipel. Olivier Coipel. That's how I say it. <clears throat> Olivier Coipel um, is very reminiscent of. Um, it's got like a little hitch in them in this story, as well as a little um, going way back. Uh, this artist, uh, Larry Stroman, he used to do Alien Legion way back, way back in the day. It, it was re- reminiscent of that to me, but it, but it was definitely enjoyable. So that was OK. But at the end of the day, what I myself look to pay six ninety nine for this and this be a book to like I would cherish. Like, nah, I, I, I wouldn't. And, and, you know, sometimes you got to think with your dollars. The price of this book is stupid. This is yeah. a six ninety nine book. The, the previous book, Three Jokers, six ninety nine, felt worth it. Yes. This does not. This is not a. Do not do this, DC. Knock it the f off. Yeah, this is like a... for like a little anthology. What's it got? Four, four stories, five maybe. Yeah, that's the thing. It's only four stories. Get out of here. What was the cybernetic now, special? You guys remember the that summer cybernetic special that came yeah. out this summer? Oh yeah, I remember whatever that. whatever price that was, that's what this should be. And I don't think that was six ninety nine, you know. And that and that one, whatever price that was, that had more than four stories. That's a good yeah. point too. Yeah. Um, my favorite here was actually the John Ridley one because I'm so curious about what John Ridley is going to be doing. You know, when it, when uh, DC Fandom happened, they revealed that John Ridley was going to be doing a new Black Batman. Mm-hmm. And you know the the, which is cool. My question is, this is Batwing we're looking at, right? Uh, we mm-hmm. already have Batwing, but we're now we're going to have a different Batman. Um, and I'm curious to see how what we're setting up here. Also, I have not spent any time with the foxes. I know there's Lucius and there's Luke. I didn't even know there was another part of the family. There was a wife. Was there uh, before? I mean, as far as I know, there was only. Lucius up until fairly recent, like relatively recently, you know, New Fifty Two. The kid that the the brother that they're talking about, Tim, or like they mentioned, like it's time for Tim to come home. Um, he uh, uh, speculation went crazy. Like I think he was he premiered in like sub three three something Batman three hundred something, and speculation for that issue went through the roof after this. Because everyone's assuming he's going to be an important character soon. Maybe he'll be. So he existed. He was just obscure. Uh, Brandon says one of his daughters dated Tim in Red Robin. Also, I was thinking the same thing, Brian. Uh, The cybernetic special, Brandon says, was $9.99. Was it? Oh, man. All right. No, I take it back. I don't want to say it because I wasn't 100% sure, but I was like, "Mm." I thought it was. uh, All right. This should not have been $9.99, obviously. Oh, Samuel Eight. David mentioned how cool this uh, Batwing costume is, and I completely oh. agree. That costume is oh, fantastic. Yeah. And that was a Judd Winnick thing. Like, Judd Winnick was the one that, that um, wrote that Batwing series before he left <laughs> before he left DC. Like, the, uh, was, was it pre-New 52? It was, like, post one of the crises? I think it was, yeah. Yeah, but this, this like, style suit and Batwing becoming a, a permanent member of the Bat family. Yeah. It was around the Red Hood era, like under the Red Hood. Gotcha. Um, uh, all right. If well, this was if this was prestige format, it wouldn't hurt so much. But it's just yeah. a normal just an issue. Book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Um, all right, let's move on. We're so many DC books. Uh, Dark Knight's Metal Multiverses N Number One by James Tinney and the Fourth with art by Juan Gideon. 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 Uh, let's see. What does it say? What do they say? They say, Perpetua, mother of all existence, has culled all life and creation in the multiverse, condensing all beings to one planet, Earth Prime. In her quest for power and dominance, she rules absolutely and in totality, using her children, the Monitors and Anti-Monitors, as her heralds and destructors. But... A group of heroes have band together across multiple worlds in a last-ditch effort to stop her from destroying all of existence. Owlman, President Superman, Iris West, Captain Carrot, Guy Gardner, and others have chosen to make their final stand in a battle they're destined to lose. Well, why am I reading this? I wish I'd known ahead of time that they were destined to lose. I wouldn't have bothered. Uh, that being said... I, I'm a sucker for uh, multiversal teams coming together. Uh, I like Captain Carrot. I haven't seen him in a long time. Yes, Captain Carrot. Take it away, Len. Oh, um, thank you. Um, despite my usual impulses, I found myself kind of enjoying this comic <laughs> book. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, know, I after don't... that, I want to buy two more. <laughs> like that's the most sterling recommendation I've ever heard in my entire life. I I did. I mean, first of all, first of all, I love the cover by um I think Art Adams did that. Yeah, Art Adams. Um, well, I don't uh, know if he did this cover. That's Chris Sprouse, I think. No, no, no. I'm looking here. I'm looking at actually in the um, credits, and it says one cover was by Ian e. Bertram and David Stewart, and the other one's by Art Adams and Sabine Rich. And this is the Ian e. Bertram. Okay, so this is what Ian you're looking Bertram. at. Yeah, yeah. So um, wait a yeah. minute, Ian Bertram didn't he do uh, the House of Penance and Little Bird? I don't know. That's not th no. This is wrong. No, then this, this, then is this must be Art Adams. Then this is not Art Adams. Look at this. I didn't think it was Art Adams when I, no, when I first looked at, looked at it. I didn't think it was Art Adams, and then I looked in the in the credits, and I was like, oh, I guess it's that Adams. no. I, I well, I, whoever did it did a damn good cover. That's all I know. I love the cover. Um, and, but the cover is stylistically wildly different from inside. And yet, I still kind of dug the inside because it's like this you know, like, kind of like cartoonish battle. It's treating this like a, a, a big, dumb cartoon. Um, Guy Gardner's, the, Guy Gardner's the, the rational one. In this one, um, every uh, everybody's mad buff. Captain Carrot is buff, but he still looks like Captain Carrot. I just, I, I, I'm a sucker for Captain yeah. Carrot. Yeah. Okay, um, there we go. Thank you. Uh, the the what they have printed inside is wrong. Uh, this is by Michael Golden. Oh, perfect. He because did the I, cover. When I looked at it, I thought it was Michael Golden, and then I said, "Well, I guess that could be Art Adams doing a Michael Golden suite." So now that's why I love it because Michael Golden is probably one of my favorite artists of all time. So yes, he was the one artist like I totally geeked out over and could not say anything to at a comic book convention. I'll tell you that story Aww. later. Um, but um, so that so so now now I want a poster of the cover because it was Michael Golden. Um, um, but yeah, it's just like this big dumb cartoon. Like I, the only thing I don't like about this 
book, it does stop to fill in the backstory of Perpetua and give you literally her entire, you know, yeah. life story from like the from the uh, from the crib to the coffin, just about. You know what I mean? Um, and and in the way that it is detailed, sometimes you you realize like you know some little. A little bit of this don't make any sense, but it's a comic book. What the hell? Um, but you're you're wrapped up in it, and you're just enjoying it. Owl man, now after um, the uh, the DC animated universe movie of the Justice League versus the Crime Syndicate, I can't remember what the, what it was called. Um, but after that one, where James Wood played Owl man, every uh, time I see Owl man, I hear James Wood. That's right. That- right. That's my favorite one. That's what a surprisingly absolutely. good voice for Alman. Like unexpected exactly. and awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, exactly. he's a he's a villain in real life. So. Yeah. Very true. Very true. So now, when I see Alman, I don't even care what iteration of it is. I hear James Wood. So now I'm reading. I'm reading him, James Wood. And so in my mind, this is James Wood talking to Phil Lamar's Green Lantern, and I'm just, I'm in heaven because it's just a big dumb cartoon and is mel blank being captain carrot i'm having a ball with I, this comic book i also loved this so um one one gideon was a uh, is is been um a fill-in artist on uh venom like mm. between ryan stegman arcs so I, I was very familiar with kind of his cartoony style but it's it's more than that it's not just like buffy and cartoony it's also there's there's detail in here yeah. Like that you would like it's not it's not simplistic when you say cartoony it's just like cartoony proportions and coloring which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um I loved this issue and I don't think that it felt like something was missing. This is this if anything this is what's what was missing from the last issue of Death Metal. Like right. what like all of these characters were sent off to go destroy the the antennas on all these all multiverses while the Trinity was sent to each crisis to steal a little bit of crisis energy. So in Death Metal, the two teams diverged, and these last two one-shots have been what's happening with each team. And I think it's awesome. Like, I don't think it's, it felt like a missing piece. The idea of um, Owlman becoming a central character in this was so freaking cool. <laughs> and his entire motivation was based off of, oh, we're good now because no matter what, I don't die. Like, I was like, this is great. This is absolutely great. I liked his understanding of, like, I liked him coming to an understanding of, like, how continuity works, you know? Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. And, yeah. Well, they, and he, he's such a badass. Before they even have their conversation about, like, hey, um, Stuart, sell me on why the fuck I should help you. Before they even have that conversation, he's like, oh, I've booby trapped every single tower already. I could end this in a heartbeat. You just need to tell me why I need to bother with you. And that's the act. That's the, cl- that's the conflict of this whole issue, which I thought was just awesome. Yeah. I, I liked yeah. the conclusion that he comes to too, where, so, so I similarly really liked this issue and I thought it was a great point for a kind of recap of what is happening. It's in a tie in book. And I liked getting that kind of overarching backstory. Some of which I already knew, but it's just fun. And, some of which was was new, so that was helpful. Uh, but also, the one part about it that I thought was kind of dumb turned out to be the point of that and was cool, where, 
you know, Owlman, his thesis is like, I am the true dark reflection of Batman. You know, not all these other ones, which I thought was great uh, use of that character. And then he says to, you know, the, the, I don't know who he is, the Batman, grown-up Batman in an evil, in a Batman's baby's body. Um, and the, and the lanterns, I was like, eh, eh, so-so. And then Owlman points out, like, you are dumb and nobody will remember you. Everyone will come back to me. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was great. I thought the whole story was great. And the emotion from Captain Carrot, uh, surprising and cool. Um, oh, yeah. really enjoyable issue. There's, there is, um, when we were reading... When we were when we started reading uh, Scott Snyder's Justice League run, and we were going back and forth, like I was the only one that kind of stuck with it, but we jumped in and out. But those first handful of issues were so like intense and weird, and every like fourth or fifth issue, um, right when we thought like I'm dropping this this book, James James Tini in the fourth would re- would write a fill in issue, and it would be like about one villain or an explanation of a thing. And it was the best issue, and you kind of kept going, and that's exactly what this is. Mm-hmm. James Tinney in the fourth comes in and cleans up or 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 streamlines all of Scott Snyder's big weird ideas into something that's just like fun and simple. Because the fact that he called up all of the Justice League run in one word balloon of of <laughs> <Right>. Stewart's <laughs> one word balloon. All of that crap about the totality and shit in one word balloon. I was just like, yeah, no, that's that's all of it. That's all of it right there. So Which this was great. I think it was needed. As someone who only dipped in and out of that Justice League run at, at uh, whenever Noel would be like, it's dope. Um, I, uh, I didn't have a full grasp on it. Um, and there was a couple of missing pieces that I was like, oh, here we go. All right. It's a nice little two pages. Here's, here's what happened. Great. Thanks. I have a question uh, for you guys. The... The part of the recap, you get to where you got Parallax, and uh, it's talking about how Perpetua noticed, like, after the first crisis, that there was a crack, and so she kind of instigates these other crises. Um, My guess is that Tinian does it just for the sake of streamlined storytelling, but he does not include the New 52, which I thought was unusual. You know, there's there's one other time, I think in the page that you were just at, J.D., where there's an Owlman that's, I think, out of step with continuity uh, in some way. Like, the, the middle one is JLA Earth 2, I think, with Grant Morrison. Right. So, Flashpoint's not a crisis. Flashpoint is a rewriting of, t- like, it's a time rewrite. It's not a crisis event. Like, they didn't, they didn't, um, Flashpoint didn't cull all the universes into one or one universe broken out into many, which is what the crisis crises were. Oh, it's got to involve Flash- other universes. Yeah, yeah Flashpoint was just a rewriting of time. Yeah, okay. Damn it, well done. All right, nice. All right. Here we go. Yeah, this book was a lot of fun. I had, um, somebody had posted somewhere on Facebook or whatever, and I happened to glance by it as I was uh, scrolling, and that they just they just didn't it was useless and they didn't like it and blah blah blah. So like I went into this being like, oh geez, I've really been enjoying this. I hope I hope it's not as bad as whoever said it was. And I had a lot of fun. I thought it was a lot of fun. And again, it's important for me because it sort of summarized all of the JLA run, the Justice League run by um, uh, what's his nut Snyder. So yeah, I thought this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. The art's really cool. Uh, it has a um, 
flavor of um, the guy who did Rumble. What is his name? Like, oh, shoot. Uh, I know who you're talking about. He's so. in the same vein as like Daniel Warren Johnson. But yeah, uh, he's one of my uh, favorite artists currently working, and um, a lot of people James have sort Heron. of been. James Heron, yeah. yeah. Uh, James, a lot of people have been taking the James Heron route in their <laughs> artwork recently, and I kind of love it. Um, but anyway, yeah, this is a lot of fun. I think it's another good addition to the Dark Knight's Metal Death Metal run, which has no right being as fun as it is. I think. Huh. I'm enjoying this way more than Dark Knight's Metal, the original. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, like night and day with the two of them. I want to check in with Todd Engel, who, who uh, commented on Facebook... Uh, I don't know if he's having a stroke or if he sat on his phone, uh, but I <laughs> put it up on the screen. I just want to make sure. Do we need to call somebody? Are you all right, Batad? Um, all right. What's oh, next? I, I have one question for you guys. In the, I think the second to last, or no, the last page of this issue, there's a bizarro on the ship with them. What, uh, what do you guys make of that? Was he, is he like part of the, what's the name? Justice Incarnate, I think is the name of their team. Um, sure. Oh, okay. there he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Also, to be continued in the Rise of the New God, number one. I'm excited about that now, but I didn't know it was happening. Yeah, that's the other one shot that's coming out in the skip, the skip month. Oh, I didn't know there was one more. Great, cool. Yeah, there's, um, there's like three more one shots. Yeah. One um, that's like Lobo new... based for some reason. Yeah, that one. That's the only one that I want to just not read. Uh, and that's they even said that that's like an anthology. That's just like, huh. um, there, it's a, it's filled with like what ifs of if Lobo was a part of X Y Z kind of bullshit, which I think is stupid. Um, All right. But that's only because I don't like Lobo. Uh, alienated number six of six. Finally wrapping up this mini series that. Uh, I'm not sure if all of us on the show love it, but I know me and Noel do. Simon Spurrier, who is also writing the current run of Hellblazer, John Constantine, which has been canceled. So pick it up. The trade paperback is out now. Pick it up, and maybe they will continue uh, writing my favorite book on the shelves right now. This is Alienated Number 6, with art by Chris Wildgoose, reeling from the devastating effects of Chip's true powers. The Sams have a terrible choice to make as they face off once and for all chip and the town of tangle tree hangs in the balance i will say that this last issue wrapped up a little too quickly for me otherwise this is a pretty fantastic miniseries that i highly recommend to everybody um Noel, why don't you tell us what you thought um i they it did wrap up it wrapped up quickly, but I really, really liked the epilogue. So, like, the climax, arguably, too, the end of issue number five was the climax of the book. It just needed, like, a quick little resolution of that climax where the one character just went way too far. Like, that was the climax that all this shit happened and a lot of people died. Um, the way that they dispatched the villain, because there's really no villains in this book, there's just... Well, there's villains. It doesn't matter. The way that they dispatched the, the big bad... Um, was so obvious, but I was so into the book, I didn't see it. Yeah, like it was just such. It was such a oh, I'm sorry, obvious comic thing. Well, I, I didn't like. I knew something, but I didn't see it. Like as soon as it just got bigger and bigger and bigger, I was just like, "Oh, are they? Are they in the? Thi- oh, yeah. oh, 
Oh, nice. Well done. Like, it was just paced out incredibly well. It wasn't like a, you fooled me. It was, I was just so into it that I didn't, I didn't bother trying to figure it out. Gotcha. You know? Yeah. This was, this, this whole miniseries was just so amazing. Size Barrier, because this. of Hellblazer and because of Alienated specifically, uh, it's, um, it's a name I'm now going to remember uh, and look for in the future. Brian, did you read this? Uh, no, I hope that with the earlier shock of me not finishing that Batman book, that me also not reading this, somehow we can continue. But Glenn. I'm sorry, I didn't read it. <laughs> I did read Alienated. Um, if I read any of the, the mm. other books, I honestly didn't remember them. So I was a little lost in it. So I can't say whether or not I felt it wrapped up a little bit too quick or too pat for me or not. That being said, um, it read like an enjoyable, enjoyable book. I almost wish I hadn't read it because I might I was interested to catch up on it. Um, it's fun visuals. Uh, I think the storytelling is imaginative, sometimes a little hard to hard to follow. But I, I don't think that necessarily is a fault of the artist as a as much a fault of just me and as I was, you know, the time of day when I was reading it. Um, and, and also coming in in chapter six. So not ca- catching up, picking up on all of the visual cues that probably have become language by now if you had written, uh, read all six issues. Um, but I thought it was, you know, silly little it, it, fun. I, I could silly? see this. Stop was, swiping. Stop swiping the uh, the comic. I don't want it to get any further. If anybody's interested in reading this, it, it, yeah, because it's not silly. It actually is a little. It's, it's, a lot, it's not silly at all. I was gonna you, say it's very dark. Uh, I didn't it's think it was it's very dark. It, which is which I think is um, interesting because that is very much contrasted by the art style. I don't think the yeah. art is dark in, at at all. Right. Um, but the story is, and I think that that. It helps the art helps make that story a little bit more palatable, and I thought that the end of this story, which I thought the end of this story was actually a a true epilogue. Sometimes the epilogues aren't really epilogues, especially now where comic books are so busy setting up the next thing that the epilogue is really just a teaser. Yeah. Um, I thought this was actually just a true epilogue, and I appreciated that much. Yeah, it was a much. real. It was a. It was a, a legitimate ending. Like yeah. it, this could never. This should never be picked up. It's just good. Um, I loved the series as a whole. Was fantastic. And and you're right, Len. I think earlier issues we had talked about, like just looking at the cover of this book, it does not indicate the kind of style of or, or of story it is. Like it's very mm-hmm. colorful. The the character designs are they pop, but it's a very dark, very emotionally personal book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and I even though you've read the end, um, you don't, you still don't know how dark it got, and you should go back and read the whole thing. Yes. Yeah, I believe uh, that. So this 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 alien or multidimensional character, uh, Chip, was a blank slate when these three teenagers came across it, and they literally fueled it with all of their insecurities and hates and 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 bad ideas and it just became a tsunami of destruction mm. this 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 whole book is just 
This is one of my favorite things that happened this year. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes down to trade paperback, we highly recommend. It's going to be from Boom Studios. Pick up the trade paperback. It's a nice one and done. You don't have to worry about reading too much of it. Um, in and out. Uh, highly recommend it. It's great. Um, next up on uh, the JD. Oi! There's something that I feel like we haven't talked about in a little while, and it's been long enough that I've completely forgotten all pieces of information about it. Is there uh-huh. any way for people to donate to the show uh, uh, through Patreon or, or anywhere? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, there is. Is that uh, right? If you, look on, if you look on your screen right now, you'll see the words patreon.com slash Destructo. That will go to help the show be better, hopefully. Uh one dollar equals one betterment yeah. <laughs> of the show. <laughs> um, yeah, so, we, yeah, we measure quality with monetarily. As does the rest of the world. Um, <laughs> let's see. How do I... Now I'm all confused. You, you threw me off my game. What's that the next was my book? secret intent. The next book is Department of Truth, number one, by James Tinian IV, with art by Martin Simmons. Cole Turner has studied conspiracy theories all his life. But he isn't prepared for what happens when he discovers that all of them are true. From the JFK assassination to flat earth theory and reptilian shapeshifters, one organization has been covering them up for generations. What is the deep, dark secret behind the Department of Truth? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Uh, You should read this book. I think this may be... In a week full of books that I really enjoyed, I read this this morning and... I was immediately engaged. I think that this was great. It's got an interesting idea, and um, I highly recommend it. But I'm going to throw it to uh, Len. What did you think? Oh, um, the Department of Truth, the book where James Tinian (laughs) reveals that he is actually really a, a nom de plume for Oliver Stone. I yeah. thought this was. A, <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought it was a very interesting book. The whole idea that you know, there's a department that is whose whole job is to keep conspiracy theories in the world of conspiracy theories. I thought was uh, cool. I thought it was interesting the the way it it spells out the way it starts the way it it gets into the story every aspect of this book i liked except the art i was wondering and it's not that the art is bad the art is the, the art is is good it's just that i don't think the art sells the story um there's a moment of a big reveal in this in this book where for lack, for lack of a better word, you get to the end of the earth. And I don't think the art sells that big moment, at least not to me. It, did, it didn't translate off of the page like I think they intended it to do. Um, and I think that is... That's the only fault I have with this book. I think it is sometimes maybe just a, a step too stylized that it just does, it, it's just not really selling the art. I understand what it's doing. I understand who it, it, it's um, the, what it's going for. It definitely has earmarks of early Bill Sienkiewicz, um, who did the great 
um, Electra uh, miniseries with Frank Miller, way back when Frank Miller could still write. And that's a fantastic comic book. And I, and I, I urge people to go pick that old book up and read it as it's just as prescient today as it was back then. Um, and you you could see that style all in this, even some earmarks of the story all in that comic. Um, but I just think that there are moments where it just is a, a hair too stylized and it doesn't, it, it just, it, it fails the story. But it's a very interesting comic book. I actually did enjoy it a lot. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, um, I, I, I got to do a Thunder Round of this earlier this week and that was one of my, one of my, I wouldn't even say gripes too. It was um, for it being a sketchy, loose, uh, painted style. I didn't have the same problems I usually have with painted styles where it's just static and and it looks like people posing in between panels as opposed to kinetic energy between like showing motion between panels. Right. This right. didn't have that, so like that was a plus. However, when it came to things that needed to be like jaw dropping, it was just a little too abstract for it to like really land. Mm-hmm. Um, and really just that one scene. Like that one scene where they reach the end of the earth uh, and you're like uh, is it snow? Is yeah. I, I, uh, like it was just it was just a touch too abstract to really just hammer it home, which I I think was a missed opportunity. However, literally every other page of this book was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I think I found the art mildly off-putting when I first opened it up, but I quickly grew acclimated to it, and uh, I didn't have any problems moving forward. But uh, it definitely was uh, an adjustment when I first started reading it. But the story itself is so compelling that. Uh, I quickly fell in line. It was fine. Are we are we going to spoil it or no? Yeah, I think we. Uh, I think we ought to. That's the most interesting thing in the book. Uh, well, not necessarily the last page reveal, just the the high concept, at least. Um, yeah, I want to talk about the last page, but we, I don't have to. We we don't have to. Um, I think I felt exactly like you guys did, and I think as uh, uh, maybe sort of similar to how Samuel David feels that um, it. It took me a second to get into it. When I opened the book up, I was like, I went back to check the cover. I was like, oh, is this a JFK assassination thing? You know? Right. What's right. this going to be like? And I uh, I also got acclimated to it, you know, as it was going on. I find this style of art a little... It's off-putting. The story intends it to be off-putting, so that's not accidental, I think. But... Um, you know, it it uh, it fit the story, and I was not. I was I I acclimated. It was fine. The ideas it presented in it were very cool. About how the more people believe in something, the more like you hit a point where then it exists, mm-hmm. and that this is yeah. how the world operates. It's um, yeah, yeah. The the opposite of conspiracy theory management. So, uh, or what people perceive as conspiracy theory management. The idea of like they don't want you to talk about this stuff because they'll tell you the truth, or, or they don't want you to know the truth. But in reality, it's like, no, no, no we don't want you to talk about this shit because you're going to make it the truth. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's really fun. And you would think that must have happened at times in the past, right? Like we did not always believe that the Earth revolved around the sun. So there came yeah. a time when the gestalt changed. And people started mm-hmm. thinking that way. And I found myself wondering while reading the book, like, well, why don't they use it? Why don't they do something good with it? Well, I think, you know, you know what, I bet, they prob- I bet they will at some point, too. Like, so there is this, there, they, they present in the book that there is an objective truth. But uh, any kind of, like, large swell against that objective truth 
creates a new truth and that would cause a like it would cascade to multiple other things being true in retro uh, like re- retroactively which is a huge clusterfuck right when it comes to science religion <laughs> uh, political everything so that makes me think that the reveal that we have at the end i don't think that that's who they say that is oh really? i think that oh, you it, don't I, no i think a conspiracy theory brought that person back whoa i didn't even consider that that would be interesting so it's not really the person but it is really the person because a lot of people believe something about that person and now they work for this department of truth which just the idea of that makes me all super effing giddy about this series this was awesome that's interesting i i just don't think that this would go the world of that because to me that dips into the mystical and supernatural and I, and I, I don't think that is where it's intended because uh, that thinking kind of aligns with some of the thinking in fables um that comic book and why the jack of fables was as powerful and as successful a character as he was and why jack was you saw the character of jack in so many different fable stories it was a whole idea because you know the world at large grew to you know be so fond of jack and see jack as this heroic character that he be he you know thus became the hero of all these other stories and this kind of mirrors that a little bit so i i just don't think them going see them going that way it would be interesting i'm not knocking i'm not knocking the theory oh no no i just, no. I just you you mentioned you don't think it's mystical yet or supernatural and i i think it really is the 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 entire conceit that um emotional groundswell or belief can make something like can create something so like in this it's the example of flat earth enough people in one location believed it to the point where they started to make it true that is supernatural that is mystical so i got it i didn't think that they were steering away from that with this book yeah it sort of takes the element that i've seen in a lot of like stories or comics about gods and gods are only as powerful as the amount of people who are praying to them and believe in them and the only reason they exist and you know certain gods disappear i think in jason aaron's run there were gods who were like disappearing because nobody prayed to them or believed in them anymore and they took that james tinian took that and has expanded that to a um i guess maybe a more i don't want to say real world um aspect but you know more well like the world as opposed to individual i was gonna say he he applied it to a shitty subreddit. He applied that. <laughs> well, he mentions, they mention also the Buddhist uh, Tulpa here, which yeah. I had heard of, but I, I couldn't recall. But luckily they explained it right after that it's like a thought form, you know, that you know, people uh-huh. think things and then they are given reality. It also kind of reminded me of the magnetic pole shifting. Um, you know how every so often, I mean, on geological terms, every so often the magnetic poles switch. And so what's, yeah, so what's now north will be, has been and will be again south, and it'll go back and forth. And it begins with, like, and I don't know how this part works, but, like, a part of the, the, the a section of the earth growing that is the opposite way, and then it, like, takes over. I don't know how wasn't you, can, a, I don't know how that works, but it kind of reminds me. That, 
wasn't that one of the weird pseudoscience explanations for shit on Lost? The fact that the island itself was a um, a magnetic anomaly yeah. that had to do with the poles shifting. Yeah. So like time functioned differently there. Um, everything functioned like everything was very different inside of that little bubble. Sorry, at this point, all I remember is that there was a big mean drain. Yes, that drain was done that. <laughs> I also like the the idea of where like. They say, once this is the case, it will have always been true. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of, like, time thinking uh, really delights me. Yeah. Same. Same. Um, You know, it's a great book. uh, Tyler Reynolds says, is Tinian into magic like Alan Moore and Grant Morrison? This is very much magical thinking. I don't, I'm not sure. That's my Uh, knowledge. This is yeah, the yeah. third awesome Tinian thing. I, I didn't read the Clown Hunter story, but you loved it, Noel. And yeah, yeah. he wrote the Multiverses and, and this. This is a good week. Well, also, I, doesn't he do uh, Something is Killing the Children, which I very much enjoy? Yes. Yeah, yep. he's he's literally the most popular writer in comics right now. What? Yeah. We I, all like him. There's four. Batman four is the best-selling comic. Batman is the best-selling comic and has been this last year. Um Something is Killing the Children increases in sales every subsequent issue, which is unheard of. This was one of the biggest um, image launches in history. I think he's getting um, a lot of work. I don't think that he is the biggest name in comics. Uh, Numbers-wise, I think he's currently right now one of the biggest names in comics. I'm sorry. I, I was talking about his actual name, but yeah. I don't think he's a household <laughs> name. I don't think people are go- people know the name Brian Michael Bendis. People know Grant Morrison. I don't think a lot of people are going, James Tidian! The fourth, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which one do you mean? No, I, I, th- I think that there, I, <laughs> Not I think that he is. I think that his books are incredibly popular right now. Sure. I don't think that they know who he is, but like he is hitting on a lot of specific zeitgeists right now. Yeah. And they're all churning up winners. I think he's. I think he's the next Brian K. Vaughn. Okay. Oh, I was gonna say I think he's the next Jeff Johns. Because he's he's okay. going back and forth, like he uh, he, yeah. he plays very explicitly in the sandbox, but then also does this over here and then this that's, over that's, here. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. And I think he's going to be at DC for a long time. Brandon says that he guesses that Tom Taylor is bigger. As I, I guess, um, I don't. I think they're probably equal as far as name recognition. Yeah, I don't. I, I actually, I thought Tom Taylor was, even though he's incredibly popular in like our circles, I think he's still relatively unknown. Yeah, and I think the same about James, to be mm-hmm. honest. Next up is Shang Chi, number one of five by Jean Luen Yang, Dyke Ruan, and Philip Tan, with an art by uh, Jimmy Chung. He's so good. The Master returns. An ancient and evil secret society has stayed in hiding since the death of their leader, Zheng Zhu. Uh, but n- I'm, no, I'm butchering that name. But now his successor has been chosen to shift the balance of power in the world. Shang Chu's son, Shang Chi, witnessed the Marvel Universe's greatest fighter return to a world of death and destruction he thought he left behind long ago, and discover the secrets to Shang Chi's past that will change his world forever. Don't miss out on this epic tale of family betrayal and justice as the incredible team of blah blah, I already mentioned all those people, launch a new chapter in the legend of Shang-Chi. I wish I wasn't already reading Firepower, which is very much, this, this description could be applied to Firepower, I think. Um, and while I did enjoy this book, 
I think my problem is that it doesn't really fully set up who Shang-Chi is and what his abilities are and maybe why I should care about him. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in it. I'm definitely going to read all five issues. I'm curious enough about this character to find out more. I've always been sort of curious. But um, I have no experience. And, and coming into this character with no experience, I feel like they could have done a better job of setting me up what the world is. Uh, what did you guys think? No. Uh, yeah, they didn't They didn't do a Shang-Chi primer. Uh, but... I don't know. I he's always been a a, a periphery character. I, just just being, just being mildly um, familiar with him was enough for me to just kind of like flow through it. And I, all of the legwork that they did before about the five houses, of uh, five houses, like each one being designated of a weapon. And as soon as they were like the house of the fist, I was just like, oh, is that going to be Shang Chi? Um, which was cool. Uh, I loved. I, I I thought that this book was adorable. I loved it. Like it was just really, really enjoyable and cute. Even though it wasn't very meaty at all. Like no, this no, was no. a this was a half of a pilot episode. Like yep. all it did was introduce some some very engaging characters, and that's it. Like they and they hinted at the conflict, and that was uh, literally that they hinted at the conflict, as in that was the the cliffhanger of this was ooh. So it was it was it was slight, but it was enjoyable. And I really dug it, and I especially loved the um, kind of like code switching conversation mm. that happens yeah. in the middle of the book. That was yes. good. It was yes. so cool. It was so so cool. What's code you switching know, like, for people who don't know? Uh, that's when um, someone will. You know what? Actually, uh, Len would probably describe it better because I I can't and don't code switch. <laughs> it's just it. Uh, it it basically is when someone could. is trying to is. Um, God, how do how do you explain code switching? Um, it's trying to speak not in your your how you would speak. You're trying to just have an affect or give the the um, showing the the speech patterns of another culture or so, someone else that you that's not. Yeah. Basically, it's trying to talk white. It's when you don't talk white, but you're trying to talk white to white people, and it don't come off. It comes off as stilted or almost broken English, if, if English is not your first first language, because you um, it's just it's it's not your natural patois as you yeah. as you would. Yeah, it's it's it goes both ways though too though. Like if it you does. if you normally if if you're if you're a white man that normally talks like culturally like a black man, but when you're with your white friends, you switch off into. Talking like this as opposed to talking like that. Same with, with Shang-Chi. The whole thing is like, why do you sound like a fortune cookie? And and she gets called out on it, like using the preposition before <laughs> before the action and all kinds of like those those stereotypical ways. And she's like, why do you do that? And he was like, I they just people just kind of expect me to talk like that. And he even in the text boxes, he <clears throat> I mean, I meant to say this. Not yeah, he this like is corrects what himself. I meant to say. Yeah. He corrects himself, yeah. Uh, I don't think I will I personally correct you on because there's no right or wrong answer to code switch. Code switch is the is a concept that was that was created as whatever. I don't think white people when they do it are seen as code switching. I think white people when they do it are seen as uh, once again appropriating another culture when they are talking black. But yeah. that's so I don't think that white people are code switching. I think you know other races are codes are code switching sometimes to make that's themselves my, pal to make themselves palatable to white people. Right. Right. Although he does, uh, 
it, my understanding was it was just like a linguistic term about like all of those aspects are true, but it was just like I speak differently around my friends than I do at work. That's yeah. what I thought it was. Uh, it's. it's I mean, it started like that. That's code switching. Look, whatever code switching is, or whatever, read the book. You'll see what they what so, happens. So look, Shang Chi. Shang Chi. For some reasons, it was put in his head however long ago that he is more palatable as a hero, as his his whole thing to sound like this, even though that's not necessarily how he normally talks. Right. So she calls him out, like, why do you talk like a fortune cookie? I know that you don't talk like that. And he basically admits, like, that's that's how people expect me to talk. So I do. Yeah. And so people pay more attention to, when he sounds like yeah, a like wise, wise. Asian, and yeah. like full of ancient wisdom kind of thing. Which, uh, which is... Because they expect him to talk like that. Exactly. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, JD, I don't know if you saw in the comments, Brandon says... Speaking of code switching, changing your speech pattern to match the people around you. And Samuel David adds, it's like when I talk to my Cuban dad a certain way and then I speak like a regular American kid with my friends. But when I speak to my mom, I got to do a bit of a Texas drawl. Um, I guess to a degree that is, I don't know what speaking like a regular American kid means. But um, but I think cool, man. (laughs) <laughs> I dig what you're saying. Uh, hot dog. I, <laughs> we're gonna go. We're gonna go hit that half pipe. <laughs> we've all sling, of a sling me a Mountain Dew, brother. We've, we've all of a Code red, into please. Archie Comics over yeah. here. Anyway, let's go get a soda pop. Do you want to go to the? Do you guys want to go to the malt shop? The <laughs> malt. The malt shop. Well, let's get two straws in one drink, you guys. It was. It I was. Don't want all I'm saying drinks. is. In the middle of a very slight book, it was an incredibly interesting concept to yes. insert. It was Agreed. really, 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 really cool. Um, it was it was cool. I liked the comic book. I thought it was um, basically the first half of a Bruce Lee mo- Bruce Lee movie. So, um, which is not bad, you know. I ain't mad uh, at that. Maybe the first fifth. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I I also liked that they didn't wholly reboot. Shang Chi, like there's there's mentioning to oh I no understanding you used to be a spy you used to be this it used to be Avenger and those are um, aspects of his past iterations that I was familiar with especially the spy bit that's when he was at his his heyday and most popular in the seventies and and eighties um, so I like that they didn't just totally like you know say this is you know reboot like do away with all of that they mentioned it and then they kind of move on. Um, I, you know, I, I also enjoyed the artwork on it. Um, I thought that it was smart in the, in this introduction to Shang-Chi because it doesn't get bogged down in all of that past minutia because you could get lost in that minutia. You don't know who he is. All you got to know is that when she said you used to be a spy, you used to be this, oh, that means you used to be good with whatever, whatever you did, you were good. And it quickly becomes evident what he's good at. He's good at fighting. So, um, and whatever other aspects of him you'll, you'll learn as the story goes, goes along. It was fun. It was a fun little read. It wasn't great. Like, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, some deep read, you know, but I appreciated that every once in a while. Just like from Marvel when they did the Spider-Woman comic book, um, which was a, a lot more, you know, lighter fare. Um, I appreciate it. This is just a straight action 
comic. Yeah. I liked it, too. And I really didn't expect to enjoy it. You know, I mean, Shang-Chi is... Like he's barely a superhero. If you you know, if he wasn't in the Marvel universe, you would never think of him as a superhero. Um, he's he's one of those characters that is created as an, a different genre, but they want yes. them in the comics universe, you know, kind of thing. And um, you know, I never really it had much to do with him. You know, I didn't, I didn't um, care that much. But when he would show up, it was fine. But this book, I really I thought it was fun. It it really like got me engaged with him uh, like his personality um the art switch is interesting and good like rarely is a comic just like completely switch art like this um but i thought it was good um and the the thing at the end is maybe not the most original but i'm intrigued you know we'll see what happens um yeah i i liked it overall i'm really into it yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to finish this series. Action Figure Expert says, do you guys think this five-parter Shang-Chi comic is, as, as the series, is going to be what the movie's based on? And I highly doubt it. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. think these are going to be connected at all. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't be surprised, though, that, I mean, one, the, you know they're introducing him to just kind of, like, introduce him to that, that you know, the movie-making um, audience. But I wouldn't be surprised if they don't take this more streamlined world of his as a jumping point for whatever role he's going to play in the MCU moving forward. Yeah, also also too like the even even the title of the Shang-Chi movie I- implies that it's going to have nothing to do with what this comic is. Like it's it's uh and the 10 rings or the organization like like they're going to they're going yeah. to mash the Mandarin, or the Mystery of the Ten Rings, or something like that. They're going to mash the Mandarin and the Ten Rings into Shang Chi. Interesting, I didn't know that. Stuff. I think Ryan. that is actually kind of what is being done in this issue. You guys may not with know. With his dad. What's that? With his dad. With his dad. Yeah. Uh, as I understand it, you, you know the character of Fu Manchu, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. he w- was uh, licensed by Marvel at one point, and they created a series where his son was fighting against him. And that character is Shang-Chi. But then they lost the rights to Fu Manchu. So they had to have, like, his father is a different ancient Asian yeah, character who's it's... very, very similar to Fu Manchu. And I kind of wonder if that is what the Ten Rings organization will be as well. Yeah, that, I just looked it up really quick. It's uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So I um, don't think that they're going to do this at all. I wouldn't be surprised if this was influenced by the movie. Right, like they're not going to do that, but they're like, "Hey, do something kind of like the characterization we're going to do in the movie," yeah. you know, so put it out there. I, I'm I'm curious, uh, Brian. You may know more than me because I know that story about uh, Fu Manchu and his connection to Shang Chi. Um, but I thought I had read, and I'm not home, so I can't pull my my issue of Back Issue Magazine to confirm this. I thought that I had read that it actually was more insidious that Marvel was using Fu Manchu and then were notified uh-huh. that they could no longer <laughs> use Fu Manchu. I believe uh, that. And thus had to kind of like start rewriting things. Now that you mention it, I think, I don't remember, but I think there was something that happened. You know, like yeah. some kind of like... One group said he could do it, but they didn't really have the rights, or nobody ever said, and they didn't realize he wasn't a public domain character. Or so, yeah, I think there is more to that story. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I'm a little embarrassed that 
I am enjoying, and Samuel David, I think, said that too. Um, I like Shang-Chi. It was fun, but I like Firepower better. I hate that mm. I'm enjoying the the white martial art book better than I am the Asian art art book. Is he white well, in Firepower? No, no is, it's just... The, the creators creative. are white. It's Robert Kirkman and Chris Somney. I, we're, we're talking about... So, Firepower has had, what, 300 pages worth of story so far? This has been 20. Yeah. Like, well, no, I mean, like, we've we've had more time to sit with Firepower, and it is um, Chris Somney, so that always gives everything higher. Yeah, like, I love this Chris Somney. Barely... Chris Somney's um, uh, artwork in Firepower and the martial arts and everything always has yeah. this silent, silent majesty to it. There's not a lot of speed lines like there are in this book. Um, this is very much more action-oriented, whereas everything in Firepower looks like ballet. I like Firepower more, too, but that's only based off of what I know now. Like, this sure. is enjoyable, and maybe yeah, no, it's going to be great. It's, yeah. yeah, it's good. Yeah. I'm just not like, oh, man, I can't wait for issue two. I'm like, I'll read issue two. Yeah. And it does sound like they're going for two different audiences. It sounds because I don't. I don't, if I've read Fire Firepower, it hasn't it done anything. It hasn't set itself in my brain. Um, but just hearing what you're saying, it sounds like it's maybe a little deeper of a read than this, which decidedly, like I said, just comes off like a, a dumb karate movie. Gotcha. Well, this is this is pure. This is purely like in Marvel. You know, like yeah. this is this is steeped in Marvel. Like they're they're doing their best to reintroduce him into current Marvel continuity. The last time that they even bothered doing this was, I think, was a couple of like tie-in miniseries to an event, and then I think he was in like one arc of Secret Avengers five or six years ago. You know, like mm. he's not does, had his own book in a long time. Does he have any abilities besides martial arts? I don't think so. I think he's just very. Uh, I don't that's know. One reason that I see him at. Primarily as just like a so, martial arts movie character put into the Marvel universe. So I've seen him do things, but I don't know if it was a temporary thing or if it's a permanent ability. So I've seen him um, duplicate himself. I've seen him like direct chi. I've seen him like the dragon thing here. Like, but I don't know if that's like a move or a specialty in the moment or if it's like a gained ability so does he have superpowers no is it's he almost capable like of we doing should things know these answers more than enough yeah is he capable of doing hopefully well but not necessarily yeah. why didn't think of it as a question by the end of the first this issue. is a character who has been in the marvel universe for how long and this is not a reboot we are catching up to this character who has been around and none right? of us know the answer as to what his abilities are I but mean, if you know I'm that pretty right sure now. he doesn't have any abilities. I mean, I know that... No, you cited some excellent examples of him having abilities. But, um, like, I didn't think of that as a question at all. Like, I didn't, I didn't realize that, um, that it was... He's, in, a, in a Batman kind of way. Just no tech, chi. He's got, he's, he, can, he can manipulate his life force. How about that? But chi is such a borderline... Like, I don't think we need to know that, right? I, I, Not like, at the end of the first. I don't think we necessarily yeah. need to know about the end of the first issue. I didn't you know, think so. You yeah. know that he can like if you if, if if at the end of the first issue you didn't see him fight at all, maybe I'd hear hear you, JD. But his 
his, no matter whatever abilities he has exhibited over over the years, and I'm sure you know different writers for different reasons give him this, be able to do this and that. At the end of the day, he he is a fighter, right? Which is why it always pissed a lot of people off that Iron Fist was considered like this great fighter. It's like, no, get the fuck out of here, Shang Chi. So, so that that's his thing, and you see him fighting in in this comic. That's the main thing. Everything else you'll learn. And as a reader, that really, as much as he is has been a part of Marvel for so long, he really is being reintroduced to Marvel, and they're kind of like giving like a an origin story without giving him an origin story you'll learn his abilities as it keeps going on fair enough um let's move on to x of swords part two which is in actuality x factor number four by leah williams carlos e gomez and ivan chevron and as usual the lengthy descriptor provided by Diamond Comics is Death and Rebirth, Corruption, A Dark Discovery. That's what they say about this book. Um, and I think if you're looking on the shelves and you're looking for X-Factor number four, I'm not entirely sure you would find it. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, it's very clearly... Well, first of all, it's Chadwick Boseman, issue one. <laughs> and then it's X-Men, <laughs> X of Swords, part two of 22. And it's also X-Factor number four. Um, so, you know, we were talking at the beginning of the show about, uh, I believe someone thought that it felt like a, uh, it didn't feel like it was a continuation of the first issue. Uh, I didn't feel that at all. I felt like this picked up exactly where the last one left off and it was dealing with some interesting things and it puts forth some complications moving forward with the Ten of Swords, wherein we have up until now within the Hickman world of the X-Men, not really worried about death as much because they have a whole resurrection protocol that they can enact using uh, the five in order to bring back any mutants who have died, all with their memories intact and, and abilities and even their adamantium, because why not? And um, <laughs> now that has been, uh, it's, it hit some hiccups, let's say. Uh, so I thought this was a very engaging second issue, and I'm just as in intrigued in Ten of Swords as I have been with the first issue. What did you think, Brian? Uh, so that was me, and I, I recanted, and then, so I think what happened was, uh, looking back, the plot flowed directly from that one. I didn't at first recall what had happened with Apocalypse, and or that they were, you know, something with Richter, uh, but stylistically it did seem like a jump right like because we were talking earlier about the the realities of having a different creative team on every chapter um but i enjoyed it i uh, you know i wasn't as into the first one as you guys but this one i thought picked up steam a little bit the floating kingdom of roma regina sounds awesome that sounds like a great place to to uh live for a while in it was one of these interstitials i guess they give a little recap of each one of the kingdoms in the, uh, in whatever they call it, reality. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was fun. The, the thing that happened with, uh, Rockslide was interesting, too, where he didn't die, but you don't have Rockslide anymore. You have a different Rockslide, and so it's kind of the same. So the stakes are raised without going back on the, without coming up with some reason that they can't just reconstruct people anymore mm -hmm. they, they've done it in, in, a, in a decent way uh, so yeah I liked it no um 
it was fine. <laughs> so, uh, plot-wise, yes, it continued from the last issue because it picked up right away. Stylistically, it felt like a different issue. Now, or it felt like a different series, which is cool. I like the idea that they're attempting to tell this bigger story from multiple perspectives, which I, I totally think is great. But I also think that that's like high risk, high reward. Like there, I know now that there's going to be some of the 22 chapters that are amazing and some that are going to be fine. Um, also, the way that this book was kind of constructed was a little weird. Like the interstitials, which I'm used to now, mm-hmm. were coming so fast and loose and had nothing to do with what was happening in the story. It was like they were just doing um, preamble or they were squeezing in homework for you that had nothing like usually when these things would come in it was because of something that was about to happen in the book or just happened in like a a fun way to explain it. They were throwing in like just history of houses in other world when we're over here in Krakoa dealing with something completely different. That's a good point. So it felt blah uh It screwed the pace altogether. I loved the idea that now things that happen on Otherworld, deaths that happen on Otherworld, will not well will stick because Krakoa can't reboot you as your old self because of it, which I thought was really really cool. Raises the stakes, but did not understand what the hell was going on with Rockslide. Like I know that it was a different him, but he couldn't keep himself together. So then Lorna just turns him into an altar. What? I, think I didn't understand that pieces. at all. I think those were the pieces that came off of the the rock slide previously. And oh, then yeah. when he was reborn. This okay. Was a different yeah, 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 yeah. So she used old guy, but new guy is still. Yes. Okay, so I didn't understand that. Yeah, at all. they did not sacrifice the, the newly formed <laughs> rock slide. We're like, well, she, he doesn't know where he is. Let's just turn him so into rubble. That whole se- <laughs> that whole sequence got interrupted full, like three times with explanations of houses in in other world and two other conversations. And all I remember too, is like just seeing shots of, um, shots of, uh, uh, Lorna holding rocks while they're talking about, this isn't, you know, he's gone. The real one is gone. And then all of a sudden she built an altar out of him. I'm just like, I thought he was not dead. Like it was, the pacing was just all fucked for me. So I actually, I actually did get the, the vibe sometimes reading it that the writer or in writing the dialogue was co- making corrections that the art doesn't po- necessarily point out. You know what I mean? To that point. No, that, like, that it's not really, you know, like, mm, you're not really selling this point. So let me kind of like write our way into that she took the rocks and created, you know, this altar of a, of a thing. It, that, that's, for some reason, that was the vibe I was getting off um, reading it. Um, I felt the same way with you as far as the art. I thought that um, it was sometimes like 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 that character right there who is the Saturnine, I think. Saturnine? Not Saturnine. Not not Emma Frost. Frost. Right. (laughs) I just have to remember not Emma Frost. Because every time she comes up, I'm thinking it's Emma Frost, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. It's not, and it's not helped that Emma Frost then later appears in the book. So I'm like, I'm like, okay. so I thought that the art sometimes did not, while it's good art, I just think that sometimes the storytelling, it's maybe a little bit too jam-packed, a little bit too detailed sometimes, and maybe needs to pull back a little bit um, to help with this, the pacing and the storytelling. Um, 
it's so in many ways this is a consequential episode uh, episode book issue because of what it reveals about how they they're reconciling with the resurrecting of the mutants and what you do when things go wrong um so th- so it that is a big thing to happen for them to actually have to deal with that uh but it you could see it as like maybe just a eh. um i thought some of the women um again just kind of like nitpicking at the art i some, think some of the women sometimes had like the oh. similar body type which does not help sell the characters um because that now they all are basically looking like the same model um and whereas other artists gives them distinct looks and ages and heights and things like that nature it, just some of the things that help sell the book um get you into the story i thought were, were lost on it and then for the most part it was like it was okay it was cool but who does apocalypse see speaking of that of that uh issue who does apocalypse see rachel summer's voice as is that richter when it's in his head and she's like uh, yeah. i gotta say made a very interesting choice in the visual presentation richter yeah it's yeah. richter okay at first i thought cable but then the no, uh, right young there. cable you know but uh, that's light in his hair. Anyway, all right, thanks. I just um, I brought up on the screen. Uh, I really like that tiny little moment between Richter and Apocalypse. I like that. Yeah, it's the first time I've ever seen. Um, hey, Len, let's see your face. Um, it's the first time I've ever seen Apocalypse have like uh, any sort of emotional response to another being. Mm-hmm. Y- yeah, what's up with that? Them? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I guess that's in Excalibur. Yeah, they yes. were very. They were beginning to have that kind of relationship when I kind of dropped off. Um, when honestly, when we stopped reviewing all of the X books all the time, but um, I was enjoying it, and I think they were. They must be linked in some way. I think it is Apocalypse's wounds that are hurting Richter, right? No, they were both poisoned. So yeah. the blade, the blades, and the arrow tips were poisoned. Um, so they were both just and um, Apocalypse got lit up. By all of his children, yeah, like yeah. swords and like from every angle, and uh, Richter just had an arrow, like a shot, right? See, but, but they were I, dying it, from poison. Yeah, I like that moment between Apocalypse and, and Richter. But then, because one, I like that. I like that. Oh, okay. Apocalypse is not going to turn into the big bad, which yeah. you you easily could have could have happened. Except you see that that doesn't happen when his his, his kids attack him in the issue one. But then. He he, basically threatens to kill or damn near kills the healer, because the healer won't tend to Richter's wounds. Now, I know the healer has his reasoning, but if anything, I would I would have wanted Apocalypse to just like no, like not like choke him to kill him. Like no, like throw him over to Richter. No, save Richter, not me. I I thought that would have been the next step based on their what you saw seemed, with them earlier. Yeah, it seemed like he was shooting himself in the foot. You know, like, yeah. don't work on me, work on him. Don't work on me, kill you. Like, right. what? <laughs> that way you can't work on either of us. Yeah, uh, I'm curious to see who uh, will, or if they do, uh, dies in Otherworld upcoming and we get a new version of that character. Like, will they use this to 
change certain characters in, in various ways. I'm curious to see what will happen. I mean, they wouldn't have introduced it in the, if they if they weren't planning on rebooting somebody, right? But I, I do like the idea of, um, since Otherworld is a nexus of all creations, if you die there, you're rebooted as some sort of either amalgam or randomization of a version of you. That's a really, really cool concept. That's true. Yeah, I'll give you that. So let's let's kill off a main character and then have them be weird for a while and then magic will bring them back in. Yeah, get their memories back or something. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought there was some nice character development in here. I really like um, Polaris and her sort of... She's very anxious and unsure of herself and she doesn't know what to do and eventually she gets where she needs to be. Um, although it seems to be spurred on by her dad, Magneto, who's being a complete dickhead. And he yells at her and then... She's able to access um, the information, which I thought was strange. I'm wondering if they'll deal with that a little bit more. Um, well, she but, notices uh, that too. She's like, "That was weird." Yeah, in in previous books, they've identified that her main anxieties are him, and that he doesn't really know her, kind of a thing. Like, I think I was in the first issue of X Factor, which was the last one that I read. Yeah, same. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, this wasn't I awful. It. I just it. It definitely felt disjointed to me. I think the only disjointed thing were the interstitials that you mentioned earlier. While I I appreciated them because I didn't know anything about Merlin and his daughter and how they both are in command of two separate um, worlds, I guess, or or portions Mm -hmm. of the of other world. Um, You know, Merlin is in charge of this sort of almost metropolis that's you know covered in smoke, and he's he's very much um, um, sort of a dictator. Whereas his daughter is in charge of another section, and it's all free love, and, and uh, you know, it's almost like anarchy, but it's mm. somehow controlled anarchy. Um, so that was did you guys, did you guys see the, did you, did you look at the, the calendar? No. At the end of this? No. So next week is three issues. The week after that is three issues. Oh, man. It's a deluge. Yeah, that's a 22-issue... This is not 22 weeks. This is like 12 weeks, jam-packed. Or less than that, actually. I think it's supposed to be done in November. I can't tell if that's good or bad, though, because, you know, I don't want this to go on for 22 weeks. Right. And I, it worked I, out well with uh, with Empire, you know, to be quick. Yeah. Well, it's, again, I don't think that's comparable. No. Empire I mean, had a spine. There was only like, one there's, issue There's one week. book. <laughs> right, as opposed to three. Like, they didn't... It, this is This is, to me, this is equivalent of if Empire... Instead of being one through six with tie-ins, every single tie-in chapter was labeled a chapter. Mm. And you just had to read it all in order. This was 42 pages. Like, yeah. Are they all longer yeah. than usual? Double size, yeah. Um, I, 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 I hope not. I doubt it. I don't know. We'll see, we'll I, see how it goes. Yes, we yeah. will. <laughs> all right. Anything else? That's our last book. And I got to go run a store. Jenny's got to go run a store. Which store oh, is it, Where's it located? Oh, my God. Johnny Destructo's Hero Complex at 4327 Main Street in Maniunk, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Oh, hey, I've been in there. That's a nice shop. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. fine. Uh, uh, so, <laughs> anybody who wants to hang out with us, we are here every Sunday at 1030 a.m. on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook Live. Uh, you can comment with us. You can email us at cultpopgo at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at JD's Hero Complex. Uh, Brian, where can people find you? Oh, I'm at uh, BrianLeebDesign.com. 
on the internet. And, and Noel, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Bartocci, spelled right there, B-A-R-T-O-C-C-I, M-R-B-A-R-T-O-C-C-I, or um, on any of the cult pop social media feeds. Uh, sometimes we get to do videos, uh, and we'll throw them on here. Also, don't forget, Tuesdays, you go through the new books of the week. Yeah, so cool. on, on Tuesdays around 2-ish, I do unboxing videos on our YouTube where I just share with you the delivery that I received and we go through all the books and I show you what's coming out this week. Also, we on our YouTube channel will put up Thunder Round videos where we review 60 second review for 60 seconds. Thunder Round. Yeah. I, I I also I'm going to try this week. I did finish the first volume of Lucifer. Uh Brian, I'll try and do a video of it. Oh, phenomenal. And yeah. uh Noel, what do you, what did you think? Did you, did nope. you like it? Yeah, you're Ben, right. oh, oh, ben where can the people find you? Hey, you can find me any place in every place that you can find the Black Tribbles podcast on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, look up at Black Tribbles and you check it out. And yo, Brandon, I see you. Uh, in the background, it says, no justice for Brianna Taylor. And Brianna, you deserve so much better. And truer words could not be spoken. Well done. Uh, all right. Oh, hey, speaking of which, speaking of justice, maybe go vote. Oh, yeah. Once, well, yeah. Just oh, a thing. Just a thing I'm thinking. Well. Maybe go vote. That's yeah. Vote early and yeah. once. Yeah. <laughs> vote early and often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will talk at you later. Thanks so much for listening to Spoiler Alert. Check out all our shows, including the Cannibal Horrorcast, where we review classic and contemporary horror. Oh, it's so spooky! And Gutter Talk with the Black Tribbles, recorded live every week at Johnny Destructo's Hero Complex in Nanyang, PA. Yeah.